1: Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Weisson, the unique blend of hunting, fishing, wildlife conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Taurus, award-winning pistols and revolvers mossberg american built american strong and the red 55 winery in lyndale texas signature wines of grammy award-winning country artist Miranda lambert and owned by rick and beverly lambert welcome to today's campfire today a little bit later we're going to have mr herman Brune on now, herman and i among other things are Kind of distant cousins, but kindred spirits in a lot of different other ways. But also tell you that Herman has done a lot of different things and extremely knowledgeable when it comes to the outdoors and very very dedicated to the perpetuation of of our great sport of hunting and wildlife conservation and the North American wildlife model of conservation as well too. But before we get on to visiting with with Herman about a lot of different topics, I need to remind you once again about the book that I do or did with Luke Clayton called Campfire Talk now the foreword was written by our old friend Mr. Jim Zumbo and the book is a compilation of I think it's 41 chapters as I recall of Luke and I telling about our outdoor adventures everything having to do from hunting and fishing down to uh, cooking and just a few just plain old fun stories that we've heard and told over the the past several years now that book's available catfishradio.org you can go to that site and uh, click on the little icon thing that tells you to go to the to the books for the um, campfire talk book but there you can also if you'll notice there's also an opportunity to order a book that i did about hunting whitetail deer mule deer sitka blacktail colombian blacktail and who's whitetail here in, in north america and both those books are available there at that particular site. Now that second book uh, about hunting deer it was the Ford was done for me by Mr. Corey Mason. Corey happens to be the executive director of both DSC and DSC Foundation and having served as a uh, ambassador for DSC for a very long time and on board for the DSC Foundation as a member of the board of directors for a while and now an advisor I can tell you that uh, a portion of the sales of my book Deer Addictions will be donated to DSC and DSC Foundation for the great work that they do in wildlife conservation education as well too. So great way to support the uh, DSC and DSC Foundation and have a book that you can hang on to and a both those books are soft covers, but both of them also are about three hundred plus pages. And got a feeling you'll enjoy them. At least I hope you really do. And if you do, I'd love to hear from you. And you know, I need to also remind you that we're not very far from the DSC convention that's coming up. Uh, oh gosh, it's going to be January 11th through the 14th at the K Bailey Hutchins Center, world's greatest outdoor hunting. Exposition, if you will, and uh, look forward to seeing you there. I, I got a feeling I may end up saying maybe, maybe even have Luke there as well. But for a while, but we'll be out uh, probably in the uh, the very front part of the the convention hall and signing books. And look forward to catching up with you there. So uh, need to remind you about that, and then too that. You know, a a DSC membership is a great Christmas gift, but then so are the two books that that we talked about here a little bit earlier about... uh campfire talk that Luke and I, Clayton and I did, and then also deer addictions that I did on deer hunting. So be thinking about those kind of things. You know, Christmas is mighty close, and if you order in a timely manner, we'll do our very best in a timely manner to get those books out to you before Christmas. Thank you very much. Now let's join Herman Brune, and me talking about it. Oh, well, you'll just have to listen and see what we're talking about. Well, there we go. Herman Broom. <laughs> Herman and I are sitting around in his home, the old family home. It's been around here for a whole lot of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, just kind of going to kick back a little bit. Herman does a fair amount of things with a whole bunch of different organizations that he'll talk about here, I suspect, a little bit later as well, too. But, uh uh, Herman, it's good to have you back on, I tra- uh, almost said Trailing the Hunter Moon, the TV show I used to do. But it's good to have you right back here at DSC Campfire. Now, you're, we're going to do a radio show for for you as well, too. Right, so we'll
0: do two things at once. I'll shut up and let you do your introduction. Well, I'll, no, we'll do two things at once, because we're smart that way. Absolutely. Uh, All right, <laughs> uh, yes, I also have a radio program. And right now, we are doing this in August 2023. And uh, this is kind of an anniversary thing because I've been doing this now, this radio program for 23 years. Uh, Started in 2000. So this is... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Been doing this since 2000. And uh, back when we used cassette tapes. I remember those days. (laughs) And I was mailing cassette tapes home to the radio station from all over from yeah. wherever you were at the from time from wherever I was at the time whether I was guiding in Wyoming or Montana or, or Mexico or uh, you know mailing from Del Rio or uh, just wherever I happened to be guiding at the time I was mailing these things trying to get ahead of the game you know get a week or two ahead that, of the that's game that's where we're be. with what I'm doing right now yeah you know, and mailing these things on cassette tapes and the guys at the radio station KULM 98.3 FM here in Columbus have always been great about uh, working with me, you know, and uh, it's never been a moneymaker. You know, I I mean, we, we advocate and promote for these young people to do what we do, but there's no money in it we're broke you want to live your life broke do this (laughs) do this for a living uh, yeah do this for a living Uh, but it's great the information the knowledge you get from it is incredible the people you meet everything is makes it all worthwhile it's 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 the honest deal about this really makes it worthwhile the lifestyle makes it worthwhile Uh, you know and and we do try to try to make a few shekels here and there we have to yeah but this right here uh, my radio program started with water issues and there was so much bad information going on and I wanted to just I had just come I went back to AM as an adult I took a bunch of journalism classes and I wanted to people to have the right true information let them go out and vote their heart and what they thought was right but give them good information when they want to decide whether or not to have a groundwater conservation district so that's what that's what i did there was a lot of you know i i condemned the op-ed pages in the local newspapers because it gave a a place for people to put bad information. Right. And I I dislike that. I thought that was bad. You know, people shouldn't all do that. You know they're just when they purposefully put out bad information, then it's a control issue. They're just trying to control somebody. And I I this was groundwater was not something where you want to control people. No. Groundwater's where and it, it, it eventually worked. It eventually worked out Uh, Because the Texas legislature, bless their heart, figured out with the Brown, uh, Buster Brown's bill that passed, Senate Bill 1 in 99, I think, uh, passed. And it provided the infrastructure for how groundwater would be managed in Texas. And then it was just a, a matter of implementing that infrastructure and gaining that infrastructure and getting people to buy into it. And uh, so that everybody had a seat at the table, everybody could talk about it, and everybody can make the plans without losing the rule of capture, which says everything underneath you is yours, everything up to heaven is yours. And that's the way the Texans believe. And I learned so much about what was legal and I learned so much about people Uh, What do people believe? And there's there's some people around that don't believe the way we do. And uh, that was the first time I had anyone look me in the eye and I said something about rule of capture. And I said, well, you know, I said, this is a law, Texas Supreme Court's upheld this for more than a hundred years. I said, and recently they'd upheld it again. And I said, and above and beyond that, every Texan believes it's his God-given right. Anything under his property, his, all the way up to heaven. I said, Texans believe that's a God-given right. And I said this to one person and they looked at me and went, you do understand there is no such thing as God-given rights. There are only those rights allowed you by the government. And the conversation was over. I, <laughs> I can imagine was, it was. That was the first time I had ever had anyone say openly, openly say, that say that to yeah. me. And it it yeah, I, I went stuttering, and I I said I don't you know if you no believe, if you believe that way, if you don't believe in God, I can't help you. No, no. I, I can't help you. If you don't believe that you have inherent rights that you're born with, I went. I, there's no. I can't, there's no reason for us to go on. No. Yeah. And uh, I'm not, I'm not speaking to a logical, intelligent person. And I, I just let this, let this conversation go. And, you know, but that, you learn so much. You learn about people, you learn about, you know, you learn about people who pretty much try to do things the way I think logically and what does the law say and how does this work and, What's historical and all that, and then you see people on the other end of the spectrum, and everybody in between.
1: And everybody in between, yeah. And you and probably
0: it, learned a little bit about the political system as well absolute, as you're a lot, a probably lot more a than lot, you wanted to know at that point. I'll tell you what really helped me with that was, you know, we had an outstanding uh, government teacher in high school. We had uh, old lady Pinchback. And uh,
1: remember her well.
0: Yeah, and she was great, great I say Miss Pence back, yes, yeah, but Ms. we You're always right. said that's how we always say it. Exactly. And yeah uh, <laughs> and she was a great, great government teacher. But we was a bunch of dumb high school kids. What helped me the most was I took a media law class when I was in my forties at A and M. And that gentleman uh, was practicing attorney, uh, Tomlinson, and uh, was his name? And he spent the first half of the semester making certain that the students had a good basis in civics before we went on with media law aspects of it and we went back over the government we learned in high school and it was kind of surprising to me how how much it helped me learning relearning it when i was in my 40s it stuck that time and uh and then you know, you're older, you're an adult, you're you're in the workforce.
1: And you experienced a few things at that time as by that time as sure. too.
0: You you've had some experience. Uh and me always being more or less uh freelance and self employed, you you have more experiences than just drawing a paycheck. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh <laughs> so you, you get a little more insight. Yes sir. You know. And uh it's it's uh it was good. It was a good experience. Uh, I enjoyed, I enjoyed everything about going back to A&M and and i will admit that I, if I take a, uh, a math class, you might as well shoot me. I hate, it. I hate numbers. I'm gonna give you this. There's two things, you know, the periodic table. I tell this to the kids when I talk to them about writing tips, right? I'll say, everybody here knows what the periodic table is. And you are talking to high school kids now. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, all right, there are two man-made elements that are that run the world. And I said, they have been in effect since God drug man up out the dirt. I said, it's the first thing that happened was the two man-made elements that actually run the world are words and numbers I said both of them can be used for either good or evil I said it's up to you how you want to use them you know I said and when I'm talking to kids I'll say you know you you guys think about using them because you can manipulate your words you can manipulate numbers and you can make either one of them look good or evil so I say it's up to y'all to how you want to use them, you know. And then we go on with the writing tips, you know, because it's,
1: it's a good start right there, though. Yeah, I like that. So I like that.
0: It's, it. it's I have. I have a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I, I sit around, probably sit around too much. Too much time in my own head. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. All right. Wait a minute. Whatever you're ready. I did. Okay, now we're gonna do the <laughs> all we're, right. gonna, we're gonna we're gonna do the double track deal here. Let me see, is this thing on? Yeah, okay, here we go. Because you're filming and I'm fixed to be recording. You ready? Yes, ready? sir. You're Whenever, ready? I'll follow your leave. <laughs> we're gonna see it's all be fun. All right. Good morning and welcome to this weekend's edition of News from the Camp House, the listening post of the Texas Sportsman Association. This is Herman Brun. This week's edition is also brought to us by the Shaw's Bend Social Club. Shaw's Bend Social Club. It's a country club for folks who don't have a country club. Stop in and get a cold one. All right. Now, we're here this weekend. We've got one of Columbus's own sons with us again. Uh, Been with us several times. Uh, Been on the program several times. Everybody knows him. Uh, Cousin Larry, how you doing? (laughs) (laughs) What a pleasure to be with you, by golly. And you're right. I am from Colorado County, Group in the northern part, and we
1: are cousins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Life is pretty good when you look at it that way. Coming from Colorado County, being cousins, and knowing that the Shaw's Bend Social Club is just south of where we
0: are right now. We may adjourn there here just a little bit. We finish this. There you go. There you go. All right. Larry's running around. He's... uh he's doing his one of the things about the outdoor industry and the outdoor communications industry is that there's about as many different niches if you think about industries and you think about all the different positions uh the jobs all the different things that go on to make various industries work you have you know you can kind of pinpoint them you go well this is how this works well the outdoor industry and the outdoor communications industry is just a little bit different because it's pretty much a deal where there's there's about as many different niches as there are people, because everyone goes out and sort of has to create their own niche to a certain extent. Uh, You may write for a magazine, you may write for a a website, you may do something like that and have specific jobs, but we're all out here with a certain amount of freelance uh, experience, and we're all out here hustling, so I mean there there's like I said there's pretty much as many different niches as there are people in the outdoor industry. Okay, now I got a, I got a direction I'm going with this, okay. but I'll let you. Go. Okay,
1: go <laughs> you're right, you're right though. I mean there are there's so many different niches, and these days. It's not like it used to be when I got into the deal. My background is a wildlife biologist, and so from that, I started doing a lot of magazine writing primarily. Well, then I saw the money siphoned off to TV, and things are continuing. It's a very dynamic industry when you get right down to it. And these days, what I've learned is that you can be specialized in one field, but
0: you better be a little bit in every one of them as well, too. Right, right, right. Uh, Yeah, I'll pick that up pretty quick when I started trying to sell magazine articles and realized I needed to be a photographer too. (laughs) Absolutely. And, uh, and that, that was one of the great things about the writer's organizations was they had some, during the conferences, they had incredibly good seminars, uh, on photography and, There's Earl Nottingham is here in in Texas, is a world-class photographer, Uh, works for Texas Parks and Wildlife, and uh, puts, you know, does most of their magazine a lot of the times. And he was one of the guys originally, they would have a contest at these conferences, and all the photographers would have contests. And then every other year, the first and second place winners in that conference had to run that seminar the next year. And about every other year, Earl was, was running that was running seminar, because yeah. he had won about, he would place first or second, damn near every other year. Yes. Sir. And part of, the, the big part of that was that if you had 40 or 50 photographers out there competing in this contest and then the the what everybody there went to see was the critiques because they would critique the photographer's pictures and for me that was the learning uh material that i needed to hear because i would listen and i would watch them critique these professional photographers and i did not i still don't consider myself a professional photographer i have sold photography with articles but i i just don't consider myself a professional photographer uh you know when i got to set that camera on automatic that that takes me out of the professional photographer realms uh You know how to do that better than (laughs) I do. I'll tell you what, though. I started off years ago when it was print,
1: slide in black and white. Of course, right. now we have digital, and when right. the digital world came around, it changed everything because the beauty of it is now you can manipulate those photographs after you take them. And if you look at a photograph, well, I don't like that. Let me change the angle a little bit. And sometimes an angle change of, of three inches, four inches, or a complete angle change can make so much difference. But now you can look at them instead of sending them off to a, a lab to be processed. That When they got back, you hoped out of a roll of 36, you had three or four usable photos So things have changed in that perspective as well, too. Today, there are probably a lot more good photographers than there were several years ago, but it's because of what we can't do, the
0: the technology we have available to us these days. Right, right. I started with slides. Uh I did a piece on Lewis Pierce, who had uh, moved his cutting horse operation down to Charlotte. And I did a, a piece on him for the Paint Horse Journal. And uh, I think I made three trips to Charlotte and took like six rolls each time. Each time, yes, sir. And, uh, you know, the first time I took six rolls of film, and I thought, well, certainly in six rolls I'm going to get a magazine for, you know, I'll get some quality photos for this magazine. And I looked at them, put them on a light board, looked at them, wasn't satisfied, went back down there. I was fortunate I had a good friend, uh, Bub Goodo, that was starting his colts and I'd made friends. Mr. Lewis was an exceptionally nice man. And he put up with me and he liked storytelling and he had he'd just tell stories forever. And uh, so we all got along really great. I was well from there pretty much any time, but I took me three trips down there until I had uh, the pictures I needed for that article uh with their cutting horse thing i'll brag one of those pictures turned out looked like an oil painting, and that's when you know you did it right but that was the biggest damn accident <laughs> yeah you're right though but you knew what you were looking for you had right.
1: you were paying attention to the light you're paying attention to so many different things my angles and all that kind of thing but again i mean i started out the same way different was i'd go on a hunt and i'd shoot eight or ten rows well, I couldn't go back to duplicate no. that hard stuff. You know, we no. had, so you shot a tremendous amount of, of different photos, hoping that you would come up with a few that would work. But again, with today's digital camera, you take the picture, you look at it, and you're kind of, I like to change that around. I can change the color. I can change it. I can do this. I can even make it clearer if I want to, right. you know, as far as visual acuity sort of thing. So today, it's a whole lot easier than it was a few
0: years ago. Oh, it is. It is. All right. One of the... One of the uh... Other factors that really come into being since we've been doing this is the advent of the internet, and it has added so many more niches to this thing. And questionable that, and it's fun to talk yes. to some of these <laughs> S- editors about some of the questionable niches. Yes, they're they're real. They're there. They're influencers. They're doing something. But how many of those? gals that are fishing, how many of those million clicks are just looking at gals in bikinis? And how many of them are actually looking at what kind of rod and reel that gal's using? You know, you're exactly right. There's such a thing as being popular, but
1: also being something beyond that. Popularity is fine, where people are looking at a photograph, but it's uh, totally different from what you just mentioned. Yeah. You know, to me, there there are ways that you can do both of it, but uh, so many people these days now are it's a pretty picture, you know, or a pretty gal, and a or a really big fish, and you and know, I can both make a small fish look big if we really want to, kind of thing. So, but uh, yeah, there's popularity, and then there's so product. Right. And bottom line is we need to sell product when we do writing.
0: Yeah, my girlfriend would call me and I'll be Looking at YouTube <laughs> and she'll say, What are you doing? I say, I'm gonna learn how to fish. I'm gonna learn how to fish. <laughs> and
1: I'm, yeah, you're, you're exactly yeah, right. And no fish. matter what you and I do, we yeah. will never look like that lady uh, no, no, in no, no. program. And it, like, yeah.
0: yeah, and next time, next time she'll call and she'll go, What are you doing? And I'm saying, I'm gonna learn how to snorkel. <laughs> you know, but it yeah, those are but it's real. I mean, it's real. These it people, is. these people are influencers if for no other reason they're getting people outdoors
1: and to me that's a big part of it You know, it didn't really make a bit of difference to me what age class goes outdoors yeah I want a lot of kids in the outdoors but I also want a lot of parents and grandparents in the outdoors because if I can get those parents and grandparents in the outdoors chances are they're going to drag those kids with them and those kids are going to realize how much fun this is and what they can learn from being outdoors and how important the outdoors is to everybody when you get right down to
0: it right, right, right and You know that's one of the things like i started off uh, the outdoors you can relate any subject any topic anything sooner or later you're going to come you can relate it to the outdoors somehow another one has an impact on the other whether you're talking about taxes or water or whatever you come you can relate these things and one topic is going to relate to the other that's why you know this little radio deal uh we started in the very beginning of saying we're going to talk about anything that is uh now what they call a kitchen table subject right back then I, I used to say any topic that you hear men talking or anybody talking about in hunting camp or fishing camp any of these topics is so often in these camp situations the conversation ends with a question. How does something work? Yes. How does somebody, how do you do this? What's going to be the answer to this? Well, that's the nature of this radio show is I'm supposed to go find these answers and interview people that can give my listeners the correct answers, logical, true, honest answers. And, uh, you know, put the pieces together know how the world works. You're exactly right. You want them to think. Yeah. You want them to use
1: real facts instead of emotions and learn how to think. Particularly, and That's so very important when you're talking about wildlife or conservation, whether it's water, whether it's land, whether it's the sky, whether it's the animals right. that are there. You, you yeah. need to draw the real. scientific information and provide it to the people. Let them make their own mind up. Right. Not, not be followers necessarily, and- but if maybe be a follower if you're in the right niche, if you will, going back to that
0: particular thing, Right, and you have to look at it and say, okay, now remember some of what we're talking about sometimes is theory. It is. And we've taken theory and made it, blown it into a policy and maybe that ain't good. Maybe you shouldn't make Make a theory into the policy, especially when not everybody agrees on the theory. I'll tell you what—we're running over on first. Let's let's uh, let's take a break. Thank our sponsors that let us come on here every Saturday morning. We'll be right back. See, that's first half of my little radio deal. Yeah. It's easy. I do this. I do this once a week, and I. <laughs> I can buy a beer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Luke Clayton, I've, I've been doing Luke show with Luke Clayton now for 16 years. Mm-hmm. We do a, a weekly radio show and I've got a 15-minute segment that we just talk about any and everything. We never know for sure what we're going to talk about. I'll start talking and we'll, or we'll, we'll sit down on the phone and go, we'll, we'll go in this direction. And we say about 10 words and all of a sudden we're off 90 degrees, 180 degrees off of that. But yeah. to me, that that, that's the fun part that's kind of like how I do this podcast thing it's just you know I've got sometimes I've got a basic idea sometimes I have no earthly idea where we're going to go
0: kind of thing you watch when you're interviewing people uh, that especially if you go to an agency person yes that they don't carry you where they want you to be and just use you as a sounding board (laughs) Uh, when I started doing this in 2000, that had I'm I know it happened to me a couple of times, yeah. And uh, you know, even though I was in my 40s, and you know, people kind of have a little more respect for you the older you get. They kind of watch out. Uh, but yeah, I know there were a couple of times that I talked to agency people, or or you know, that had a agenda that had a a message that they wanted to get out and use me as a sounding board. Yeah. And what really would get me jacked up is during the course of an interview, if they asked me a question, I couldn't answer. And I, I don't know. The whole purpose of this is for that person to give my listeners answers. Yes. Don't ask me something I can't answer because now you done got me mad and I'm gonna go find somebody that's gonna, to, gonna to answer that question, and make you look like the yep, d- dummy. Yep, you know, yep. they didn't make me look like a dummy because no. I don't know some specific. Uh, and, I, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly what I'm talking about. Was there was uh, a uh, I ain't gonna name the person, uh, but there there was a plan for a. Uh, Saltwater desal plant on San Antonio Bay. Now they're gonna put up a prototype, right? And I was talking to this agency person and whether or not. Well, we we're talking about that was back when they were talking about building the Applewhite Reservoir and doing all this. There was a big controversy, and we talked more during the, during the interview about that reservoir, but uh, whether or not that was a good idea. But then towards the end, I asked him about. Uh, what did they think about that prototype on San Antonio Bay with saltwater desal? And uh, well, it was still too, at that time, it was still way out of reach with energy costs. It was too mm-hmm. too too expensive. But the next question was, uh, what do you do with supersaturated discharge? What do you do with that? Well, I didn't know, and it seemed like such a simple question that. It, it embarrassed me that I I didn't know, and that you've got you've got pro, they're they're planning on building prototype. You got state agencies planning on building prototype, but I don't know how they're going to do it. And don't ask me questions. You tell me how they're going to exactly. do it. Gonna, yes. You know, So I was you know ups, uh, it, you know it just set wrong with me that the man asked me that question. Uh, I realized later. You know, that this was the typical question that is asked anytime you're environmentalists, you're green, you're real green people. That's their first thing they'll say. And why, why would they be against this? Uh, it's, it's incomprehensible. Uh, it's, it's, but they'll say, what do you do with super saturated discharge? And who knows this? Well, I'll tell you who knows this. My assistant squad leader from the Corps at A&M back in 75. Because I, I was, we were talking one day, and I, a week or two later, and I was telling him about this interview and how it particularly kind of grated on my nerves. And uh, and I said, this was a question was asked me, and he says, oh, I'll tell you what to do with it. And I said, what? He said, you build you a seven-mile pipeline out there into the bay. And he said, first three miles are solid. The the next four miles have four inch diffusers every 10 foot. And he said, it's 42 inch pipeline. He said, you can pump a million to a million point two barrels of super saturated concentrate back into the Gulf of Mexico every day with no environmental impact. We had the EPA out there for three years checking this every day and you never get a bad sample. The Gulf of Mexico has so much fresh water and uh, fresh water inflow, and so much current, as soon as it comes out of that diffuser, and, and, and it, it immediately just turns back into water. I'll be Yeah. And he, and he said, We did it. And I said, Where? He said the Spring Hill Oil Reserve, and before that it's Brian Mound Oil. That's how the strategic oil reserves were created. They drilled into the salt domes, they shot salt water down in there, super saturated concentrate came out, they shot it off into the Gulf. It went right back into seawater with no one. The EPA was there the whole time. And he said, You can't tell us, we don't know how to do it. We know how to do it. Uh I said, but it's just not advertised. Yeah. You know, it's it's not common Interesting. knowledge. Interesting, I'll be darned. It's not common knowledge. Okay, whose fault is that? Yes, that it's not common knowledge. Yes. You know. Yes. Somebody should I, I interviewed Christy Craddock. Right? Now Christy's a great interview. She's the chairman of the uh I've interviewed her a bunch of times. Uh Chairman of the uh, at the time, this one time chairman of the railroad commission, which is mm-hmm. all the permitting for all uh, drilling and pipelines in Texas, and uh, we're talking about the same subject because she knows people down in Corpus and that San Antonio Bay right. and all this, and we're talking about it, and and I, we're having this same conversation, and she goes, "Well, Herman, it's just something we've never done." I'm, well, of course we've done it, Kristy. And she goes when? And I said, How do you think they created big the the strategic oil reserves? And she's, you're right. Yeah. And I like, There it is. There it is. Now they just had this issue down at the uh, uh, Harbor Island, and where they wanted to put in uh, a uh, desal plant, but the intake and out and the outflow was. The way it was explained to me was uh, right there in the bay, and of course everybody there went, "Oh Lord, you can't do that in the bay." You know why they didn't have deep water yeah. taking outflow? Yeah. I don't know why they didn't plan that right. You know, maybe again we're still dealing with expense. But here's the deal: how many million people have moved to Texas? And are moving to Texas. You look at that I-35 corridor, and all those people up there around Taylor, between Austin. Oh my God! And and all that whole prairie that's blowing up where they're building uh, computer chips. Right. And used to be farmland, and now it's it's houses, and and uh, th- those people gonna need water. And, and there's
1: a very limited supply of water underneath, and there's really a limited supply as far as surface water is concerned.
0: Right. no In the yeah, lake, because those lakes are way down. You have a summer like yes, when you watch that Colorado River Aye. go down. And, you know, when, when years ago when I was a kid, that river always had water. Where They're keeping it in Austin now. Yep. Because Austin is no fun for me to go. Austin used to be a fun place to go. I don't mm-hmm. have fun when I go mm-hmm. there now. Me neither. Yeah. Uh, It's, you know, because people need water, and that water that they used to save for flood control and for the rice industry stays right there. I did a radio program for an outdoor rider in Austin, and we were sitting there talking about and they were griping about the lake level that they weren't holding on to enough water. And I said, Well, you know what that water is for? And they, No. I went, No, guys, that water. You know, if 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 y'all don't let this water go, the only river water we got down below Austin is comes from water treatment plants all along the way. Right. I went. This is no no real river. It's just drainage ditch. Right. And uh, they, they. I said this. This is what supplied the rice industry, and. Our bays and estuaries. Then you start talking about that, and they're oh, they that you know they like them. Yeah, that, yeah. Finally, yeah, they finally go. Oh, this is what sustains our bays and estuaries. You know that has to receive X amount of water every year, fresh water into our bays and estuaries.
1: Or if you think you got super salinity, yeah. of what you were talking about earlier guess what happens there I mean that becomes a serious problem
0: right if if you have you know your bays and estuaries nothing but that saline water because that's what happens you don't have when the rivers aren't bringing it and there's not that much fresh water inflow Uh, uh, the bays and estuaries become more and more saline yep and it makes it not that's not what not what your estuaries require. All right, here. Let's okay, just, there we go. Let's do the second half. <laughs> that go. Sounds good. All right, you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Wait a minute. I have a technical difficulty. Oh, turn back on, dummy. Here we go. Here we go. Good morning and welcome to the second half of this week's News from the Camp House, the listening post of the Texas Sportsman Association. All right, this is Herman Broom. We're here this second half this weekend with Larry Wiseen. Uh We're visiting. I do have a... You know, we were talking about the outdoor industry. I do have a specific point that I'm coming to. We were talking about uh, all the niches, that there's as many niches in the outdoor industry as there are people. And with the advent of the internet, it's it's that much more. And we were joking about the influencers, uh, but you know, and how much impact they have. But now what happened about the same time as the internet. Uh, a lot of our writing organizations for various and sundry reasons kind of fell to pieces and uh, we had a lot of problems and we're trying to draw them back together. I, I really want to see these things draw back together because they give the communications industry a unified message. and We've got so many communicators out here and the one great failure of the outdoor industry and the outdoor communications industry is that we haven't identified and defined the solution to some of our conservation ideas. We have had a conservation, my listeners are used to hearing this because I preach it all the time, they're bound to be sick of it. (laughs) But uh, I preach this all the time. The North American Wildlife Conservation Model has been in practice for 100 years. It's been law for uh, 85 years, starting 1937. Uh, it has actually been in practice for 100 years. Prior to that, it was when you saw wildlife shot out for commercial purposes, buffalo, pigeons, everything. Uh, you know whether it was with beaver hats, ladies feathers for ladies hats, whatever it was, uh, you know wildlife got shot out. But you know this Teddy Roosevelt and boys back in they put this, they hobbled this, uh, cobbled this this conservation model together, and it's been in effect ever since. And it is a way to identify and define the solution of pretty much all things in conservation, wildlife conservation. But where I say there has been a failure is because our community, our outdoor industry, our outdoor communications industry, hasn't set that up as being the prime example. When you want to know good from evil, where do you go? When you want to teach little kids good from evil, you send them Sunday school, you teach them the Bible. When you want to know what is American freedom all about, you teach, teach people the Declaration of Independence, you teach them U.S. Constitution, you teach them Bill of Rights. When you wanna know how wildlife conservation works and has been working for 100 years in modern society, you look at the North American wildlife conservation model. The conservation groups, you know, your real conservation groups that are hunter and fisherman based. You know, they need to be they need to be advocating this, advocating and promoting it. Uh, All of us, all us, all us outdoor communicators need to be doing this. Every one of us. And that is the purpose of these writers' organizations. That's why you belong to Professional Outdoor Media Association. That's why you belong to Texas Outdoor Riders. That's the reason you belong to the Associated Great Lakes Outdoor Riders. Uh, you know, uh, Ciopa is somewhere out there at uh, Southeast Outdoor Press. There's more. There's guys on the West Coast. There's guys in the Rocky Mountain states. There's all kind of writers' organizations. But what needs to be the focus and what we've done in Texas now is we have focused on this conservation model and harping on it and preaching it and going, people, this is the reason we have this. And the the one reason that we do that is because you have to be able to define, identify and define a topic, a subject matter, a problem and then you have to be able to identify and define the solution. And that's what we're doing. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm listening because you're, you're exactly right. We we have done a very miserable job when you get right down to it of making the public aware of how important wildlife is in so many different aspects. Whether it's through hunting, whether it's in hunting is conservation because conservation costs, and that's where the dollars come from. Is the hunters and fishermen? They're the ones who provide this money. Is what you're talking about with the Pittman Robertson Act and the Dingle Johnson Act on the fishing side of things. And we've done a great job of teaching people in many instances how to hunt, how to fish, how to prepare food, but we have failed miserably in a lot of different other ways. I was very recently I was at Texas Wildlife Association convention and, and I was at the uh, Conservation Legacy Committee meeting and they were talking about and and, and they said well what have, what have, what have we done? And I said you've done absolutely fantastic, great things, but nobody knows about it. Yeah. And so it, it's like being a wildlife biologist, and we're talking here a lot of times people think about primarily game animals, primarily non game species, insects, All the, but very in in those categories Mm -hmm. not as a whole you know it's wildlife and wildlife incorporates every species that's out there as far as I'm concerned from inside the soil to the plants and and all the way up and what we've been able to do in a lot of these places that we've been we've been maybe a little bit successful in 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 talking about primarily about wildlife habitat well anything you do to improve the wildlife habitat for white-tailed deer since we were looking at here your place anything that we do to improve that, that means we're going to have a greater variety of species in terms of vegetation. When you have a greater variety of species in in, uh, the habitat, you have a greater variety of species as far as animals. And that incorporates everything Mm -hmm. from insects below and insects and above kind of thing. And that's where we've been very, we've not done a good job in letting people know what we have accomplished and how that came about and why we do have the, the wildlife that we do which we taught address in the, the, uh, the North American model as well, too.
0: Right. It's, it's, uh, and I, you know, I get aggravated and I start, you know, going, well, we fail. Uh, and they have, we have accomplished great things. I mean, like I said, this model's been working oh for a hundred yes. years. And We've been doing great things, but what I look at is the arguments, you know, the, the controversies that come up and, you know, the, Part of the problem is you have states like Texas that knows how to how to work things as a republic. You've got other states with initiatives and referendums, and you wind up with California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, and a bunch of these states that, that just pass wildlife laws based on a motion that, that bypass their, le- their state legislatures and go straight to Uh, or an initiative to the public and you'll have Los Angeles or Denver or, you know, your urban areas that will pass wildlife laws that are detrimental to the wildlife and because these people don't know it. And if they understood predator control is part of a conservation model and predators work off of bloodlust they all do they're gonna kill as many as they can just for fun and they'll do it and and, you know this is not the old and the weak they're gonna kill as many as they can just for fun that is the nature of a predator i'm
1: laughing because it's like us going to the grocery store and you're gonna buy some beef and you walk in there and here's this beef that's kind of gray and, you know, maybe you got a little mold on it or whatever. Here's over here this piece of meat that looks really fresh. Which one are you going to take? Sure. The predator is no different. To me, The, the, the they'll eat. Yes, they will occasionally eat the weak and the infirm and the sick. But if they have an opportunity to take the, the most robust apple out there, gonna that's the one it. they're gonna go after. They gonna and eat they're gonna eat kill one that it. one first and eat it. You know, and, and you're right too, the, the, this thing about man being the only thing it kills for pleasure, my gosh, that uh-huh. is the farthest thing they're is from real life. Predators do that. That's what predators do. I mean, I've seen them do it numerous times, whether it's mountain lion, whether it's bear, whether it's bobcats, coyotes, you know, even in, I'm sure in some instances, some of the avian predators, the same way as well too, because Mm -hmm. I've watched them kill ducks and just fly off. You know, and it was just for the fear's sake of maybe teaching themselves how to do it, but for the fear's sake of they loved to kill, and right. so they did, and that's where that bloodlust comes in. Yeah,
0: people, people don't realize that. You know, it's it's. Uh, and I, you know, I and I'm soft-hearted too. I'm, I mean, I'm, oh my gosh, yes. I'm, I'm but I, I want to know reality yeah. and what is what is real, and this is not. There's we don't always communicate what's real. Uh, who are uh, I'm gonna throw one more thing out? I'm not out of time. To me, the greatest conservationists right now in Texas are those guys in Port Arthur working on those refineries recapturing CO2. Now, CO2 is still part of that theory I was talking about a while ago, right, right, that's still a theory. And when you're running policy based on theory, you're getting off into some sketchy areas. But anything that's coming out of those refineries, whether it's sulfides, carbon dioxide, whatever it is, if they can recapture it and have a use for it, to me... Those guys are probably some of the biggest conservationists. It is. Conservation is the wise
1: use of. Right. The wise use of. So that means if we can capture the CO2 or if we can do this, we can do that. We're conserving. It's not preserving. Right. Preservation kills everything. Conservation perpetuates.
0: Right. All right. We're out of time here on the Newsom Camp House. I hope everybody enjoyed this Edition with me and cousin Larry, and uh, this edition was also brought to us by Shell Bend Social Club, the country club for folks who so don't not have a country club. Y'all stop by for a cold one, folks. I hope y'all enjoyed it this morning, and y'all just remember, pretty much any day is show sure a good day to be out in the woods. Fantastic, Herman. <laughs> I told you I stole that. <laughs> yeah. I, I stole. You know who used to say no, that? Uh-uh. Crockett. He did, didn't he? He always said that. We'd go yeah. hog hunting. And it didn't matter if it was raining, or it didn't matter what the weather was doing. We'd be sitting there and, and uh, listening for the dogs, and and then in a little while he'd sit there and he'd look around and go, "Boy, that sure is a good day to be out in the woods, ain't it?" <laughs>
1: You know, he and I were in a swamp in uh, Wisconsin on a bear hunt, yeah. following a dog. I mean, we had no idea where we were. We, we, we had a compass reading that we, we were going to the dogs, and we had kind of a compass reading where he knew where the river was at Flambeau River. And, uh, oops. Broke something, I saw it. the Flambeau River, big old swamp. And we were sitting there, I mean, sweating, just pouring off this kind of thing, and that's exactly what he said, yeah. so. It sure is a good day to be out It sure is a good day be out <laughs> yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Herman, thank you so very much for being a guest once again. Can't wait to get you back on, on the campfire here. And ladies and gentlemen, we going to right back here next week. And uh, don't tell them where we're going, but thank you very much for being with us. DSC's Campfires has also been brought to you by the Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas. Habit, Our Gear, Your Adventure, The Texas Wildlife Association, Double Nickel Taxidermy, Dermy, Brothers Game Calls, and H3 Whitetail Solutions.
0: A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life.
1: Yeah, baby, 6'8 Western. I'll be over there, baby, right there.
0: Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.